Chapter 5 of The Story of a Soul. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Anne Boulay. The Story of a Soul, the Autobiography of St. Therese of Lisieux, translated by Thomas Taylor. Chapter 5 Vocation of Therese. I was far from meriting all the graces which our Lord showered on me. I had a constant and ardent desire to advance in virtue, but often my actions were spoilt by imperfections. My extreme sensitiveness made me almost unbearable. All arguments were useless. I simply could not correct myself of this miserable fault. How then could I hope soon to be admitted to the Carmel? A miracle on a small scale was needed to give me strength of character all at once, and God worked this long-desired miracle on Christmas Day, 1886. On that blessed night the sweet infant Jesus, scarce an hour old, filled the darkness of my soul with floods of light. By becoming weak and little, for love of me, he made me strong and brave. He put his own weapons into my hands, so that I went from victory to victory, beginning, if I may say so, to run as a giant. Footnote. Cross-reference Psalms 18, 19, verse 5. And footnote. The fountain of my tears was dried up, and from that time they flowed neither easily nor often. Now I will tell you, dear mother, how I received this inestimable grace of complete conversion. I knew that when we reached home after midnight mass, I should find my shoes in the chimney corner, filled with presents, just as when I was a little child, which proves that my sister still treated me as a baby. Papa, too, liked to watch my enjoyment and hear my cries of delight at each fresh surprise that came from the magic shoes, and his pleasure added to mine. But the time had come when our Lord wished to free me from childhood's failings, and even withdraw me from its innocent pleasures. On this occasion, instead of indulging me as he generally did, Papa seemed vexed, and on my way upstairs I heard him say, Really, all this is too babyish for a big girl like Therese, and I hope it is the last year it will happen. His words cut me to the quick. Celine, knowing how sensitive I was, whispered, Don't go downstairs yet. Wait a little. You would cry too much if you looked at your presence before Papa. But Therese was no longer the same. Jesus had changed her heart. Choking back my tears, I ran down to the dining room, and though my heart beat fast, I picked up my shoes and gaily pulled out all the things, looking as happy as a queen. Papa laughed and did not show any trace of displeasure, and Celine thought she must be dreaming. But happily it was a reality. Little Therese had regained, once for all, the strength of mind which she had lost at the age of four and a half. On this night of grace, the third period of my life began, the most beautiful of all, the one most filled with heavenly favors. In an instant our Lord, satisfied with my good will, accomplished the work I had not been able to do during all these years. Like the apostle I could say, Master, we have labored all night and have taken nothing. Luke 5, verse 5. More merciful to me even than to his beloved disciples, our Lord himself took the net, cast it, and drew it out full of fishes. He made me a fisher of men. Love and a spirit of self-forgetfulness took possession of me, and from that time I was perfectly happy. One Sunday, closing my book at the end of Mass, a picture of our Lord on the cross half slipped out, showing only one of his divine hands, pierced and bleeding. I felt an indescribable thrill such as I had never felt before, 
my heart was torn with grief to see that precious blood falling to the ground and no one caring to treasure it as it fell and i resolved to remain continually in spirit at the foot of the cross that i might receive the divine dew of salvation and pour it forth upon souls from that day the cry of my dying saviour i thirst sounded incessantly in my heart and kindled therein a burning zeal hitherto unknown to me my one desire was to give my beloved to drink i felt myself consumed with thirst for souls and i longed at any cost to snatch sinners from the everlasting flames of hell in order still further to enkindle my ardor our divine master soon proved to me how pleasing to him was my desire just then i heard much talk of a notorious criminal pranzini who was sentenced to death for several shocking murders and as he was quite impenitent every one feared he would be eternally lost how i longed to avert this irreparable calamity in order to do so i employed all the spiritual means i could think of and knowing that my own efforts were unavailing i offered for his pardon the infinite merits of our saviour and the treasures of holy church need i say that in the depths of my heart i felt certain my request would be granted but that i might gain courage to persevere in the quest for souls i said in all simplicity my god i am quite sure that thou wilt pardon this unhappy pranzini i should still think so if he did not confess his sins or give any sign of sorrow because i have such confidence in thy unbounded mercy but this is my first sinner and therefore i beg for just one sign of repentance to reassure me my prayer was granted to the letter my father never allowed us to read the papers but i did not think there was any disobedience in looking at the part about pranzini the day after his execution i hastily opened the paper la croix and what did i see tears betrayed my emotion i was obliged to run out of the room pranzini had mounted the scaffold without confessing or receiving absolution and the executioners were already dragging him towards the fatal block when all at once apparently in answer to a sudden inspiration he turned round seized the crucifix which the priest was offering to him and kissed our lord's sacred wounds three times i had obtained the sign i asked for and to me it was especially sweet was it not when i saw the precious blood flowing from the wounds of jesus that the thirst for souls first took possession of me i wished to give them to drink of the blood of the immaculate lamb that it might wash away their stains and the lips of my firstborn had been pressed to these divine wounds what a wonderful answer after receiving this grace my desire for the salvation of souls increased day by day i seemed to hear our lord whispering to me as he did to the samaritan woman give me to drink john four verse seven it was indeed an exchange of love upon souls i poured forth the precious blood of jesus and to jesus i offered these souls refreshed with the dew of calvary in this way i thought to quench his thirst but the more i gave him to drink so much more did the thirst of my own poor soul increase and i accepted it as the most delightful recompense in a short time god in his goodness had lifted me out of the narrow sphere in which i lived the great step was taken but alas i had still a long road to travel now that i was free from scruples and morbid sensitiveness my mind developed i had always loved what was noble and beautiful and about this time i was seized with a passionate desire for learning not content with lessons from my teachers i took up certain subjects by myself and learnt more in a few months than i had in my whole school life was not this ardour vanity and vexation of spirit ecclesiastes one verse fourteen for me with my impetuous nature this was one of the most dangerous times of my life but our lord fulfilled in me those words of ezekiel's prophecy 
behold thy time was the time of lovers and i spread my garment over thee and i swore to thee and i entered into a covenant with thee saith the lord and thou becamest mine and i washed thee with water and i anointed thee with oil i clothed thee with fine garments and put a chain about thy neck thou didst eat fine flour and honey and oil and wast made exceedingly beautiful and wast advanced to be a queen ezekiel sixteen verses eight nine and thirteen yes our lord has done all this for me i might take each word of that striking passage and show how it has been completely realized in me but the graces of which i have already told you are sufficient proof so i will only speak now of the food with which my divine master abundantly provided me for a long time i had nourished my spiritual life with the fine flour contained in the imitation of christ it was the only book which did me good for i had not yet found the treasures hidden in the holy gospels i always had it with me to the amusement of my people at home my aunt used often to open it and make me repeat by heart the first chapter she chanced to light upon seeing my great thirst for knowledge god was pleased when i was fourteen to add to the fine flour honey and oil in abundance this honey and oil i found in the conferences of father armenjohn on the end of this world and the mysteries of the world to come while reading this book my soul was flooded with a happiness quite supernatural i experienced a foretaste of what god has prepared for those who love him and seeing that eternal rewards are so much in excess of the petty sacrifices of this life i yearned to love our lord to love him passionately and to give him countless proofs of affection while this was still in my power Celine had become the most intimate sharer of my thoughts especially since christmas our lord who wished to make us advance in virtue together drew us to one another by ties stronger than blood he made us sisters in spirit as well as in the flesh the words of our holy father saint john of the cross were realized in us treading within thy footsteps young maidens lightly run upon the way from the sparks contact and the spiced wine they give forth aspirations of a balm divine it was lightly indeed that we followed in the footsteps of our saviour the burning sparks which he cast into our souls the strong wine which he gave us to drink made us lose sight of all earthly things and we breathed forth sighs of love very sweet is the memory of our intercourse every evening we went up to our attic window together and gazed at the starry depths of the sky and i think very precious graces were bestowed on us then as the imitation says god communicates himself sometimes amid great light and at other times sweetly in signs and figures footnote cross-reference imitation of christ three chapter forty three four and footnote in this way he deigned to manifest himself to our hearts but how slight and transparent was the veil doubt was no longer possible already faith and hope had given place to love which made us find him whom we sought even on this earth when he found us alone he gave us his kiss and now no one may despise us footnote cross-reference canticles eight verse one and footnote these divine impressions could not but bear fruit the practice of virtue gradually became sweet and natural to me at first my looks betrayed the effort but little by little self-sacrifice seemed to come more easily and without hesitation our lord has said to every one that hath shall be given and he shall abound luke nineteen verse twenty six each grace faithfully received brought many others he gave himself to me in holy communion oftener than i should have dared to hope 
I had made it my practice to go to communion as often as my confessor allowed me, but never to ask for leave to go more frequently. Now, however, I should act differently, for I am convinced that a soul ought to disclose to her director the longing she has to receive her God. He does not come down from heaven each day in order to remain in a golden shiborium, but to find another heaven, the heaven of our souls in which he takes such delight. Our Lord, who knew my desire, inspired my confessor to allow me to go to communion several times a week, and this permission, coming as it did straight from him, filled me with joy. In those days I did not dare to speak of my inner feelings. The road which I trod was so direct, so clear, that I did not feel the need of any guide but Jesus. I compared directors to mirrors who faithfully reflect our Savior to the souls under their care, and I thought that in my case he did not use an intermediary but acted directly. When a gardener gives special attention to a fruit which he wishes to ripen early, he does so, not with a view to leaving it on the tree, but in order to place it on a well-spread table. Our Lord lavished his favors on his little flower in the same way. He wishes his mercies to shine forth in me. He who, while on earth, cried out in a transport of joy, I bless thee, O Father, because thou hast hidden these things from the wise and prudent, and hast revealed them to the little ones. Footnote, cross-reference Luke 10, verse 21. End footnote. And because I was small and frail, he bent down to me and instructed me sweetly in the secrets of his love. As St. John of the Cross says in his Canticle of the Soul, On that happy night in secret I went forth, beheld by none, and seeing not, having no light nor guide excepting that which burned within my heart, which lit my way more safely than the glare of noonday sun to where, expectant, he waited for me who doth know me well, where none appear but he. This place was Carmel, but before I could sit down under his shadow whom I desired, I had to pass through many trials. Canticles 2, verse 3. And yet, the divine call was becoming so insistent that, had it been necessary for me to go through fire, I would have thrown myself into it to follow my divine master. Pauline, Sister Agnes of Jesus, was the only one who encouraged me in my vocation. Marie thought I was too young, and you, dear mother, no doubt to prove to me, tried to restrain my ardor. From the start I encountered nothing but difficulties. Then, too, I dared not to speak of it to Celine, and this silence pained me deeply. It was so hard to have a secret she did not share. However, this dear sister soon found out my intention, and far from wishing to keep me back, she accepted the sacrifice with wonderful courage. As she also wished to be a nun, she ought to have been given the first opportunity. But, imitating the martyrs of old, who used joyfully to embrace those chosen to go before them into the arena, she allowed me to leave her, and took my troubles as much to heart as if it were a question of her own vocation. From Celine, then, I had nothing to fear, but I did not know how to set about telling Papa. How could his little queen talk of leaving him when he had already parted with his two eldest daughters? Moreover, this year he had been stricken with a serious attack of paralysis, and though he recovered quickly, we were full of anxiety for the future. What struggles I went through before I could make up my mind to speak! But I had to act decisively. I was now fourteen and a half, and in six months' time the blessed feast of Christmas would be here. I had resolved to enter the Carmel at the same hour at which, a year before, I had received the grace of conversion. I chose the feast of Pentecost on which to make my great disclosure. All day I was praying for light from the Holy Ghost, and begging the apostles to pray for me, to inspire me with the words I ought to use. 
were they not the very ones to help a timid child whom god destines to become an apostle of apostles by prayer and sacrifice in the afternoon when vespers were over i found the opportunity i wanted my father was sitting in the garden his hands clasped admiring the wonders of nature the rays of the setting sun gilded the tops of the tall trees and the birds chanted their evening prayer his beautiful face wore a heavenly expression i could feel that his soul was full of peace without a word i sat down by his side my eyes already wet with tears he looked at me with indescribable tenderness and pressing me to his heart said what is it little queen tell me everything then in order to hide his own emotion he rose and walked slowly up and down still holding me close to him through my tears i spoke of the carmel and of my great wish to enter soon he too wept but did not say a word to turn me from my vocation he only told me that i was very young to make such a grave decision and as i insisted and fully explained my reasons my noble and generous father was soon convinced we walked about for a long time my heart was lightened and papa no longer shed tears he spoke to me as saints speak and showed me some flowers growing in a low stone wall picking one of them he gave it to me and explained the loving care with which god had made it spring up and grow till now i fancied myself listening to my own story so close was the resemblance between the little flower and little therese i received this floweret as a relic and noticed that in gathering it my father had pulled it out by the roots without breaking them it seemed destined to live on but in other and more fertile soil papa had just done the same for me he allowed me to leave the sweet valley where i had passed the first years of my life for the mountain of carmel i fastened my little white flower to a picture of our lady of victories the blessed virgin smiles on it and the infant jesus seems to hold it in his hand it is still there but the stalk is broken close to the root god doubtless wishes me to understand that he will soon break all the earthly ties of his little flower and will not leave her to wither on this earth having obtained my father's consent i thought i could now fly to the carmel without hindrance far from it when i told my uncle of my project he declared that to enter such a severe order at the age of fifteen seemed to him against all common sense and that it would be doing a wrong to religion to let a child embrace such a life he added that he should oppose it in every way possible and that nothing short of a miracle would make him change his mind i could see that all arguments were useless so i left him my heart weighed down by profound sadness my only consolation was prayer i entreated our lord to work this miracle for me because thus only could i respond to his appeal some time went by and my uncle did not seem even to remember our conversation though i learnt later that it had been constantly in his thoughts before allowing a ray of hope to shine on my soul our lord deigned to send me another most painful trial which lasted for three days never had i understood so well the bitter grief of our lady and saint joseph when they were searching the streets of jerusalem for the divine child i seemed to be in a frightful desert or rather my soul was like a frail skiff without a pilot at the mercy of the stormy waves i knew that jesus was there asleep in my little boat but how could i see him while the night was so dark if the storm had really broken a flash of lightning would perhaps have pierced the clouds that hung over me even though it were but a passing ray it would have enabled me to catch a momentary glimpse of the beloved of my heart but this was denied me instead it was night dark night utter desolation death like my divine master in the agony in the garden 
I felt that I was alone, and found no comfort on earth or in heaven. Nature itself seemed to share my bitter sadness, for during these three days there was not a ray of sunshine and the rain fell in torrents. I have noticed again and again that in all the important events of my life, nature has reflected my feelings. When I wept, the skies wept with me. When I rejoiced, no cloud darkened the blue of the heavens. On the fourth day, a Saturday, I went to see my uncle. What was my surprise when I found his attitude towards me entirely changed? He invited me into his study, a privilege I had not asked for. Then, after gently reproaching me for being a little constrained with him, he told me that the miracle of which he had spoken was no longer needed. He had prayed God to guide his heart aright, and his prayer had been heard. I felt as if I hardly knew him. He seemed so different. He embraced me with fatherly affection, saying with much feeling, Go in peace, my dear child. You are a privileged little flower which our Lord wishes to gather. I will put no obstacle in the way. Joyfully I went home. The clouds had quite disappeared from the sky, and in my soul also dark night was over. Jesus had awakened to gladden my heart. I no longer heard the roar of the waves. Instead of the bitter wind of trial, a light breeze swelled my sail, and I fancied myself safe in port. Alas, more than one storm was yet to rise, sometimes even making me fear that I should be driven, without hope of return, from the shore which I longed to reach. I had obtained my uncle's consent, only to be told by you, dear mother, that the superior of the Carmelites would not allow me to enter till I was twenty-one. No one had dreamed of this serious opposition, the hardest of all to overcome. And yet, without losing courage, I went with Papa to lay my request before him. He received me very coldly, and could not be induced to change his mind. We left him at last with a very decided, no. Of course, he added, I am only the bishop's delegate. If he allows you to enter, I shall have nothing more to say. When we came out of the presbytery again, it was raining in torrents, and my soul too was overcast with heavy clouds. But Papa did not know how to console me, but he promised, if I wished, to take me to Bayou to see the bishop, and to this I eagerly consented. Many things happened, however, before we were able to go. To all appearances my life seemed to continue as formerly. I went on studying, and what is more important, I went on growing in the love of God. Now and then I experienced what were indeed raptures of love. One evening, not knowing in what words to tell our Lord how much I loved Him, and how much I wished that He was served and honored everywhere, I thought sorrowfully that from the depths of hell there does not go up to Him one single act of love. Then, from my inmost heart, I cried out that I would gladly be cast into that place of torment and blasphemy, so that He might be eternally loved even there. This could not be for His glory, since He only wishes our happiness, but love feels the need of saying foolish things. If I spoke in this way, it was not that I did not long to go to heaven, but for me heaven was nothing else than love, and in my ardor I felt that nothing could separate me from the divine being who held me captive. About this time our Lord gave me the consolation of an intimate knowledge of the souls of children. I gained it in this way. During the illness of a poor woman, I interested myself in her two little girls, the elder of whom was not yet six. It was a real pleasure to see how simply they believe all that I told them. Baptism does indeed plant deeply in our souls the theological virtues, since from early childhood the hope of heavenly reward is strong enough to make us practice self-denial. When I wanted my two little girls to be specially kind to one another, instead of promising them toys and sweets, I talked to them about the eternal recompense the holy child Jesus would give to good children. 
The elder one, who was coming to the use of reason, used to look quite pleased and ask me charming questions about the little Jesus and his beautiful heaven. She promised me faithfully always to give in to her little sister, adding that all through her life she would never forget what I had taught her. I used to compare these innocent souls to soft wax, ready to receive any impression. Evil, alas, as well as good, and I understood the words of our Lord. It were better to be thrown into the sea than to scandalize one of these little ones. Footnote. Cross-reference Matthew 18, verse 6. End footnote. How many souls might attain to great sanctity if only they were directed aright from the first? I know God has not need of anyone to help him in his work of sanctification, but as he allows a clever gardener to cultivate rare and delicate plants, giving him the skill to accomplish it, while reserving to himself the right of making them grow, so does he wish to be helped in the cultivation of souls. What would happen if an ignorant gardener did not graft his trees in the right way? If he did not understand the nature of each, and wished, for instance, to make roses grow on peach trees? This reminds me that I used to have among my birds a canary which sang beautifully, and also a little linnet taken from the nest, of which I was very fond. This poor little prisoner, deprived of the teaching it should have received from its parents, and hearing the joyous trills of the canary from morning to night, tried hard to imitate them. A difficult task indeed for a linnet. It was delightful to follow the efforts of the poor little thing. His sweet voice found great difficulty in accommodating itself to the vibrant notes of his master, but he succeeded in time, and, to my great surprise, his song became exactly like the song of the canary. Oh, dear mother, you know who taught me to sing from the days of my earliest childhood. You know the voices which drew me on. And now I trust that one day, in spite of my weakness, I may sing forever the canticle of love, the harmonious notes of which I have often heard sweetly sounding here below. But where am I? These thoughts have carried me too far, and I must resume the history of my vocation. On October 31st, 1887, alone with Papa, I started for Bayou my heart full of hope, but also excited at the idea of presenting myself at the bishop's house. For the first time in my life I was going to pay a visit without any of my sisters, and this to a bishop. I, who had never yet had to speak except to answer questions addressed to me, would have to explain and enlarge on my reasons for begging to enter the Carmel, and so give proofs of the genuineness of my vocation. It cost me a great effort to overcome my shyness sufficiently to do this. But it is true that love knows no such word as impossible, for it deems all things possible, all things allowed. Nothing whatsoever but the love of Jesus could have made me face these difficulties and other things which followed, for I had to purchase my happiness by heavy trials. Now, it is true, I think I bought it very cheaply, and I would willingly bear a thousand times more bitter suffering to gain it, if it were not already mine. When we reached the bishop's house, the floodgates of heaven seemed open once more. The vicar general, Father Reveroni, who had settled the date of our coming, received us very kindly, though he looked a little surprised, and seeing tears in my eyes said, Those diamonds must not be shown to his lordship. We were led through large reception rooms which made me feel how small I was, and I wondered what I should dare say. The bishop was walking in a corridor with two priests. I saw the vicar general speak a few words to him, then they came into the room where we were waiting. There were three large armchairs in front of the fireplace, where a bright fire blazed. As his lordship entered, my father and I knelt for his blessing. Then he made us sit down. Father Reveroni offered me the armchair in the middle. 
I excused myself politely, but he insisted, telling me to show if I knew how to obey. I did so without any more hesitation, and was mortified to see him take an ordinary chair while I was buried in an enormous seat that would comfortably have held four children like me. More comfortably, in fact, for I was far from being at ease. I hoped that Papa was going to do all the talking, but he told me to explain the reason of our visit. I did so as eloquently as I could, though I knew well that one word from the superior would have carried more weight than all my reasons, while his opposition told strongly against me. The bishop asked how long I wanted to enter the Carmel. A very long time, my lord. Come, said the vicar general, laughing. It cannot be as long as fifteen years. That is true, I answered, but it is not much less, for I have wished to give myself to God from the time I was three. The bishop, no doubt to please Papa, tried to explain that I ought to remain some time longer with him. But, to his great surprise and edification, my father took my part, adding respectfully that we were going to Rome with the diocesan pilgrimage, and that I should not hesitate to speak to the Holy Father if I could not obtain permission before then. However, it was decided that, previous to giving an answer, an interview with the superior was absolutely necessary. This was particularly unpleasant hearing, for I knew his declared and determined opposition, and in spite of the advice not to allow the bishop to see any diamonds, I not only showed them, but let them fall. He seemed touched, and caressed me fondly. I was afterwards told he had never treated any child so kindly. All is not lost, little one, he said, but I am very glad that you are going to Rome with your good father. You will thus strengthen your vocation. Instead of weeping, you ought to rejoice. I am going to Lisieux next week, and I will talk to the superior about you. You shall certainly have my answer when you are in Italy. His lordship then took us to the garden, and was much interested when Papa told him that, to make myself look older, I had put up my hair for the first time that morning. This was not forgotten, for I know that even now, when the bishop tells anyone about his little daughter, he always repeats the story about her hair. I must say I should prefer my little secret to have been kept, as he took us to the door, the vicar-general remarked that such a thing had never been seen, a father as anxious to give his child to God as the child was to offer herself. We had to return to Lisieux without a favorable answer. It seemed to me as though my future was shattered forever. The nearer I drew to the goal, the greater my difficulties became. But all the time I felt deep down in my heart a wondrous peace, because I knew that I was only seeking the will of my Lord. End of chapter 5